Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. Each month on Spectology, we pick a book, read it, and talk about it. This month, we have a new book that we're reading, which is Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. This is going to be our pre-read episode, so we will be... Uh, we've read a little bit of the book, but we'll be talking about it in a non-spoiler fashion, talking about the author, the book itself a little bit, um, sort of some of the themes and other similar books, stuff you might want to know before you read the book. But like I said, it's all going to be essentially spoiler free and more of a, you know, kind of fun thing to listen to before you read the book. So if you've never listened to us before, that's kind of what we do. And then in two weeks, we will have a post read where we dig into the book a lot more in depth and... Yeah, talk about the plot and the characters and the themes in a very, like, all spoilers kind of way. I'm taking my um, hatred of spoilers to such an extreme that <laughs> I not only won't provide any, I can't provide any <laughs> because I haven't started the book yet. <laughs> this is a stressful month for the both of us. <laughs> We're doing our best with the podcast right now. <laughs> we manage stress by having side projects that take up lots of time. Create more stress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how are you doing, Matt? It's been a little while since we've recorded. Super. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Did you um did you hear my episode I did on the Hugo's There podcast? I did you, am very did you excited listen? to listen to that in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, maybe I should tell our listeners about it. Uh, <laughs> I uh, let me tell our listeners about it. I will not spoil it. I I cannot. Let's just let's just let's just say that I couldn't bring myself, even <laughs> if I wanted to, I couldn't bring myself to spoil Adrian's incredible podcast with the. Um, Hugo's there podcast. So Adrian was yeah, a, you are a guest there. host. Is that right? Yeah. So just like there every month, he, he, Seth, the host reads a new book. Uh, we read the left hand of darkness and talked about that for about an hour together, both, both non-spoiler and then leads into spoiler discussion. It was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, interesting to talk to someone, not you, not on my own podcast. <laughs> you know, I don't believe it was it. a lot of fun, though. It, could, it couldn't um, be interesting to talk to someone that wasn't me. <laughs> well, that's that's fair. It was interesting as a social experiment, not not because uh, the yeah, yeah. conversation was obviously I'm terribly boring. So, you know, I wouldn't recommend anyone go go search who goes there on iTunes and go listen to that episode. Definitely not recommended. <laughs> Well, I followed your not recommendation, but in the future, I hope to unfollow it. So there. <laughs> um, yeah, so we should we should dig into uh, to this book a little bit. Yeah, so we're reading The Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky, which is a book neither of us has read before. Uh, but I've heard really good things for like a couple of years now. So it's been on my list and we wanted to read something that was a little bit more like spaceships and sciency because we haven't like really done that in a little while and our next couple of books also won't be that way so i wanted to do like a you know kind of like an adventure sci-fi novel so yeah it's nice one. to yeah it's nice to switch it up i i love the idea of just always doing something different right exactly i, I want to you know i want to have like a that as different a book each month as we possibly can and you know sometimes that means going going to this kind of thing so it was published in 2015. Um, it won the Arthur C. Clarke Award in 2016, which is 
I think how I heard about it the first time, like I follow the Arthur C. Clarke Award because they tend to pick good books. It's a really, really cool award if you if it's not as much on your radar. If, for example, you live in America, um, mm-hmm. it's really, really uh, an awesome award. If you go to their website and check out, we'll put a link in the in the show notes. If you go to their website and check out the list of previous winners, um, you may recognize a few. I personally would love to just go through all of those because there's a bunch of them I haven't read. And judging by the ones I have read that are on the list, I'm going to like them. Yeah. And the the short list every year, because there's a it's a juried award. So every year they have a new jury and every year there's a, I think, like a 15 book short list. And that's also really cool because it's sort of like, a, you know, often that list is like a good best of of like genre fiction generally as published in England. So that's the thing with the Arthur C. Clarke Award is it's not fiction that was originally published in England, but it's fiction that was published in England of the year that the award takes place. Um, But it definitely has a bias towards British authors. Adrian Tchaikovsky is a British author. Um, A lot of the stuff I've read that has won the Arthur C. Clarke Award is British science fiction, and so it has that bias to it, which is fun because it's, you know, it's a slightly different tradition, although it's obviously one that, you know, has very much in it's like part of the Anglo science fiction tradition, even if it's not the American science fiction tradition. Um, they do they do pick Americans though. I think uh, Colson Whitehead wa- won with the Underground Railroad. Oh, uh, did in that in twenty seventeen? Cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, they definitely do sometimes, and they'll pick other like foreign um, translated work every now and again too. Uh, it's a cool award. It tends, I would say, towards the. Um, literary science fiction although this is very much not literary science fiction it's just like really really good like hard science fiction that it like cares about characters as much as it does the plot which is nice um just to give you so, a sense of some of the other winners the first winner in on listed in this list on the website 1987 there's probably well there may or may not be previous ones but the first one in this list is the handmaid's tale by margaret atwood um, some other ones uh, include The Sparrow, 1998, winner of the Arthur C. Clarke, hmm. which we've done, which we maybe disagree with, but fine. <laughs> you can listen to our podcast on The Sparrow. Yeah. Um, uh, the City and the City by China Mieville, uh, That's really good. 2010. That Dark Eden by Chris Beckett, 2013. Also one of my favorite books. Ancillary Justice by Anne Lucky, 2014. Uh, Underground Railroad by Colton, Colson Whitehead, who I mentioned, 2017. And of course... Oh, Station Eleven, which I quite like by Emily St. John Mandel, oh. who I think is Canadian, I want to say. I, I don't remember. One. But yeah. It's a good one. It's post-apocalyptic. It's cool. Is it? It always seemed a little bit like the power of storytelling to me, which I'm not a huge fan the, of. The that's not I, I would say that's a that's the reception of that book was precious. The book itself not as precious and quite good. Oh. Yeah. That's really good to know. Yeah. <laughs> That makes me, maybe I'll pick that up here soon. The reception Um, of that book made it seem like it had been written by somebody who was from Brooklyn, but I don't think she's from Brooklyn. (laughs) Well, come on. I've lived in Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where's your Arthur C. Clarke award? (laughs) Fair. fair. Um, Yeah. So I would say that the, you know, going back to Children of Time, the setting is a pretty interesting one. It's sort of like a, without getting too deep into spoiler territory, it's set in a really far future um, kind of spaceship and, you know, in space uh, within the like kind of local stars. Um, And it's very hard science fiction. There's no faster than light speed communication or travel. You know, it's definitely like there's very advanced technology, there's terraforming and that kind of thing. But it, you know, 
it feels like a, 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 a you know a far future that is maybe like ten thousand years in the future that you could see how we would get to it. Um, you know, and it's a uh, there's also there's no aliens per se. There is like uh, contact with like uplifted other earth species which Big is really fat interesting per se on that statement <laughs> right definitely definitely so um but you know it's this kind of like very like grounded hard science fictional world which i think is always fun for doing this kind of like then there's this one really kind of almost fantastical element added on top of that and that's what gets taken to its fullest extreme so um if you like that kind of stuff it's you know de- definitely the like cold dark of space <laughs> i love it i'm really looking forward to, to to cracking this one open it's this is something that i need uh, this is this is just the escape into you know mm-hmm. airlock mm-hmm. problems that that i require <laughs> um, <laughs> I just i just read a long long uh section about airlock problems so honestly <laughs> i honestly that is how i would define this subgenre this is the airlock problems subgenre of science mm-hmm. fiction um, well, it is interesting because it's the airlock so- genre, like one half is that, mm-hmm. and then the other half is this like planet side, almost like weird fantasy thing going on. Because So the, the, the central conceit, I'm just going to say it, is that there are uplifted spiders because this has been in all the marketing. It's on the back blurb. Um, You're going to need to put some siren emoji wah, at, next to this wah, episode wah, 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 wah. for spoiler um, yeah. warnings. <laughs> It's literally the first chapter it comes up. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, there are these uplifted spiders. And so a lot of the chapters are from their perspective as they like gain consciousness and like build society and like fight against other like less uplifted, but semi uplifted like insects and other animals on this planet. It's really wild. It's really like cool. And it's a conceit that I have not seen done like this ever before so i re- i really am enjoying that aspect apparently of it adrian tchaikovsky uh, as, a, as a kid was always interested in insects and he has a background in biology so right. he studied zoology yeah, in undergrad yeah, I think i'm really the, looking forward to uh, a kind of sort of slightly you know more gritty granular take on interaction of different weird species that are very different from mammals that's mm-hmm. a big, that's a favorite of mine. Things that are very different from mammals, I love. <laughs> you're going like, to really there, dig there's, this. There's, there's, um, there's not enough of that done. I mean, it's honestly, it's one of the one of the things I like among many things I like less about uh-huh. the Ender books is the oh, right. bug aliens. It's the buggies, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's something that I like about, well, we're going to mention some other books, but I think it's it's not done enough. And uh, yep. I'm really this looking is, forward to that. Yeah, I guess we'll, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll say there's there's a few other books that I, in towards the later half of this podcast, we're going to talk about other books that are similar to this. And um, there's, you're right, there aren't a lot. It's also, there's a good element of this that is about like philosophy of mind and like what it takes to make a mind and how does language and mind and symbolism and all this stuff work together to create identity. And he does some really cool stuff, some of which unfortunately is spoiler territory. So I'll have to get into the like science of it, but it like hits on the stuff that like I studied in undergrad and like aligns with my like senior thesis and stuff like that. So I'm like really looking forward to the post read when I can like talk about some of the stuff that I can't even mention right now, unfortunately. <laughs> here's a here's a spoiler-free way to discuss some of these things. Let me spin you a yarn. Let me tell you a, a tale. All right. My I have a friend who will remain nameless who recently 
bought a lobster for $6.99 a pound that was alive, and he took it home, and he set up a saltwater tank, and he knows something about setting up saltwater tanks, so he did this properly, uh, and he put the lobster in the tank, and he's taking care of the lobster, and he now has a lobster pet. And um, Did he buy it to be a pet, or did he, he feel bought bad it about to it? to be a pet. Okay. Okay. He bought it to be a pet. The funny thing, of course, is that he bought it from a market, like a seafood market. Right. Yeah. But but in fact, so after a couple of days of the lobster acting like the way you you know see lobsters act in restaurant tanks, if you've ever seen one of those, mm-hmm. it started to exhibit a lot more behaviors. It started to kind of, and that's and I say that in that way because lobsters are so different from the kinds of animals that people often think of when they think of pets, which are mm-hmm. mostly mammals, except for birds. And obviously people have reptile pets and stuff and even ant colonies and whatever. But like typically when you think of a pet, you think of a dog, you think of a cat, you know, a gerbil, something like that. Lobsters are so different from that. They are so alien. Watching it interact with its environment, trying to quote unquote play with it. By first, So for he has this magnet on the tank that you can, that has one on the inside of the tank, one on the outside, so you can move Mm-hmm. this magnet around without putting mm-hmm. your hand in the water to interact with the lobster without getting yourself wet. It exhibits so or many pinched. <laughs> uh, yeah. It exhibits so many different behaviors that I never, you know, cause I've never observed a, a lobster for a long mm-hmm. period of time in a non restaurant tank. And it's just so impossible to interpret those behaviors you, with, with oh, at least I feel like it's right. impossible. Well, it's to so inter- easy to misinterpret them too. Yeah. You know, it's so easy to apply our own kind of conscious thoughts and desires and feelings yeah. onto their like behavior. But essentially, all you have from them is behavior. Yeah. So, just as an example, one of the things that makes it difficult is, you know, it doesn't have like a mouth in the way that a mammal has a mouth. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch it eat, it has this. The, like the closest thing that I can analogize it to is because I'm a mammal, like in my daily experience takes place mostly with other mammals, like the, and, and birds, the things that I most yeah. easily compare it to are machines because I interact with machines a lot more than right, I interact with lobsters. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So when I, I watched it eat, I just kept thinking about a factory assembly line. That was what seemed most similar to it in my experience. I've literally mm-hmm. interacted with factory exper- assembly lines more than lobsters. So anyway, this is like a long winded aside, but it's, it's, this is the kind of thing that I think about when I think about science fiction portraying really alien species. We have these on earth, right? We have really alien yeah. species on earth. And well, and I think, yeah. you know, going to I'm going to dig into uh, one thing we talked about in our um, in our Sparrow post read podcast was how we felt about the aliens in that novel and like how, you know, I, I what I want to say is the aliens in this novel do write a lot of the things that we were talking about. We wish the aliens in that novel had done right. Looking like they are alien. It. They are That's weird. Awesome. They but they're also like they're grounded and that's this I think really important thing of like they're grounded in an understanding of biology and Mm. psychology and behavior and you know all of this stuff in mind and how all of this stuff fits together society to create something that is like both alien and makes sense yeah I think that I think this is like a really productive approach to understand things that are alien is to start with stuff that is alien that we can understand at some mm-hmm. level on earth that we actually can deal with and use that as uh you know to boot yourself bootstrap yourself up into something you know more creative and far-fetched 
I, you know, if you don't do that, you run the real risk that whatever you imagine, whatever you sort of think you've creatively come up with is actually just like pretty similar to mammals and has all these hidden biases. I think that yep. happens all the time when people make up species in fiction. Mm-hmm. I agree. So we should, um, you know, we've said most of the like book facts type stuff. So let's just, book oh, facts. the one thing. Nice. Uh, the one what? thing we should. What? what? What's nice? <laughs> Uh, talk about is content warnings. I don't, I, you know, I have not read the whole book. So caveat on that, like, this is not a book that unlike some of the other ones where we can like give really strong content slash trigger warnings ahead of time for it. So I will say there's like what seems so far to be a pretty typical sci-fi amount of like violence, some of which is very graphic, some of which is not, but it's all in a kind of like, you know, what you would expect out of like an R-rated action movie. There's nothing that's been super over the top. No sexual violence, no like absurd torture or like pleasure in the violence or anything like that. So, you know, it's, you know, so far that's what I have. I'm 43% of the way book according to the so Kindle. So 1990s R-rated action movie, not 2010s R-rated action movie. Well, I feel like <laughs> R-rated action movie, not prestige television drama. Uh, maybe. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Um, you know, uh, yeah, some, something along those lines. You know, I think of uh, movies like, um, fuck, what's that movie? The one with Lawrence Fishburne, Hell on a Ship. This Event is the Horizon. part of, <laughs> sorry, what? Event Horizon. It's like that. Oh, it's like that level. Oh, okay. It's like this 90s horror sci-fi movie. Dope. Yeah. Uh, not very good. But you know, like at the time, it was like, oh, man, it's super, you know, in like elementary school when it came out, it was like, oh, oh yeah. did you see Event Horizon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For being so cool about the like R-rated movie, yeah, you yeah, got a chance yeah. to see. Oh, oh it's so intense. It's hell. The ship is hell. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so uh, i just wanted to get that out and then go back to our conversation you know that one of the books that it reminds me the most of is um in terms of another book that does this one thing really well i think is blind sight by peter watts hmm. um and also probably his his novel starfish which is less well known so i'll stick with blind sight and also starfish is set under the ocean this is set they're both set in space but um you know, blind spite, blind sight is about like philosophy of mind and like what non-conscious intelligence can look like. And, you know, here there's no question of like, there are actually some questions of like, are some of the other animals conscious or not, which is kind of cool. But, you know, it's very much this feeling of like, oh, what if you had, you know, something that doesn't have the same kind of central nervous system as us, but is smart, like, what are the different ways that that can look like? Um, and so that that to me, as I'm reading this book, I'm like, it's it, in a lot of ways, it feels like a, the only book besides Blind Sight that really like handles all of these things. And they're like, you know, you know, Peter Watts was a biologist, <laughs> you know, Tchaikovsky yeah. has this like background in biology. Like there's this thing of like, oh, there are academics who have like studied this stuff and like also are good writers and thought about the like character motivation piece of it and like marry those really, really yeah. well. To be fair, and, and I think you'll agree with this. I mean, you know, there, there's no, um, you know, biologists don't have a monopoly on depicting 
things that are alien or things that are alien in like a no. hard sciencey way. You know, there's a, a lot of different productive approaches, I think, where you can get a lot of cool story and a lot of interesting ideas out of. Like, I mean, you know, I think of when you described this book to me, I thought of Ursula K. Le Guin, too. I mean, Vaster Than Empires and More Slow, for example. But then again, OK, I haven't read it. So if, yeah. you know, if that doesn't sound right to you. You know, maybe it I isn't, have read but... less Le Guin than you have. I mean, I've only read a few of her novels, but it doesn't it doesn't feel very Le Guin-y to me, even though I know that he has counted like Tchaikovsky has counted Le Guin as one of his influences. So who, know, who knows yeah. what I know? Along here, with but... Diana Wynne Jones, actually, which I found to be very interesting. There's an interview on his website where he talks about being influenced by Ursula K. Le Guin, Diana Wynne Jones in particular as a kid. Um, so maybe he's referring more to his fantasy novels because Tchaikovsky right. has, has written some of those too. But still, I, I, I would be interested to keep an eye out for stuff related to that when I read this book. Yeah, I so I've never I don't know who Diana Wynne Jones is actually. Oh, I've, I've never heard. That uh, name she's a, a a fantasy author. She wrote Howl's Moving uh, Castle, okay. for example. Oh, the okay, book. Yeah, yeah. But she's written a ton of others. She's like a beloved fantasy author by, for example, me. But millions of like millions of books sold around the world like she's like of sort of that tier some of her books are classified as ya that's a silly classification in my opinion some of them are more ya-ish than others there's no you know clear line um i mean some of her books are line in genre ever right (laughs) right some of her books um you know are are that kind of fable type story that has a lot of darkness and that also has a kind of you know, moral center that sometimes gets classified as YA, even though it actually is just like a type of story. Like, so to me, the problem with the YA genre is that it doesn't just try to classify based on content. It tries to classify based on type of reader, which seems unfair. Um, You know, you could say, for example, oh, you know, this is a type of book. This is a, a broad type because it has this type of content. These are the types of things that happen in it. These are the types of characters, the types of decisions, whatever. But instead, YA is sort of like half that and half the people who read it are between the ages of what and what, you know? Well, okay, but there's, you know, there's always been kids literature. I mean, like, that's just thinking about your audience. Sure, sure, sure. But that's a, it's like a, it's a conflation between a marketing distinction and a genre distinction. That's the that's no, the but thing all that's genre confusing. distinctions are marketing distinctions. I actually, I actually strongly feel this way that all genre is like a form of marketing in some the way con- or another, when, in when a form we dis- of like audience control. Yeah, oh, sure it is. But when we discuss these things as non-marketing people in a non-marketing setting, you know, some of them it's harder or easier to understand what we're even talking about some of them the meaning is clearer or less yeah, clear totally, i think that's totally. one where it's like very unclear because of the way it's typically used um so i just i, I find it annoying it's a confusing term because it's often not clear what people are talking about very often somebody will say a book is ya and what they mean is not that it has a particular kind of content but they mean oh adults shouldn't read that kind of thing I've certainly okay, heard I don't people know. I've, talk. I've never I, seen someone say adults shouldn't read it. No, no, they they don't. Well, I have seen somebody say that, but often I, I have seen people talk about books that are classified as young adult books, um, very dis- in a very disparaging way, in a very condescending way, and they'll refer to the term you know YA or young adult books as though. As yeah, but we're not doing classic. that. Of course, we're not. No, I, 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 I only brought this up because I, you know, I've always been annoyed by it. Not because you said anything that <laughs> right, annoyed me. Right, right. 
I guess I was just like, I, I, you know, sure. I'm sure there are idiots out there who like bad things. Well, but I Adrian, also, I once don't. upon a time, actually more than once, I've worked in a bookstore and let me really? tell you. Oh, oh, I yeah. remember that back the Barnes and Noble days. Long ago, long yeah. ago when I was a teenager too, more than once. Okay. Yeah. And uh, let me tell you, there are plenty of people who will say things that annoy me about books. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair. Well, I don't, you know, I don't mean to like put my my finger in any wounds or anything like that. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, I think I think blind sight kind of uh, is is I uh, as part of what I'm saying is like if you liked Blind Sight as much as I did, Blind Sight was one of these novels that when I was re picking up science fiction as an adult, really like spoke to me and was like, Oh, this is doing this thing that like the, you know, science fiction of my youth could only like hope to do. And especially, you know, by that point I had like studied a bunch of philosophy of mind and linguistics and this kind of stuff. And was like, Oh, it's, you know, like Watts is as a scientist, like engaging with the academic work of this very like intelligently and like, you know, trying to almost like build a thought experiment as much as anything else. And there are ways in which this book, even if it's like stylistically very different and like the, you know, the world is very different. All this stuff is like engaging in a similar project, which is, you know, taking seriously academic work across a bunch of different fields, both hard science, soft science, philosophy, etc., and like building something out of that that is like a fun story, a fun science fictional story. And um I really like that. Like that's a thing that like really gets me going when like when a when a you know when an author is engaging in that project, like I pop up and listen. Um so I yeah, so I've been enjoying the book particularly from that kind of point of view. It's a it's a cool point of view. I mean, I, you know, when I when I th- when I try to think about when I listen to that description and I try to think about what else I've read and what kind of broader context I can think of that relates to that. There's a couple things that I think of. I mean, there's the sort of more modern hard SF tradition where, mm-hmm. you know, things like the Mars trilogy, uh, which I, I mean, I, you know, it's 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 a it's a very they're very popular there. I I really enjoyed Red Mars when I read it a long time ago. And I think it's very. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot to talk about with that book and a lot of things that sure. yeah. we, you know, might want to, you know, disagree with that book about um, uh, certainly some, you know, cultural stuff and some uh, <laughs> like racism stuff. But right. Um, well, also, like uh, this is just my personal bias, but I've I have tried to read like three or four different KSR novels and I've never finished one because I find him like an awful author. Who I that's Kim read. Stanley Robinson. Sorry, the Mars trilogy right, is right. written by Kim Stanley Robinson, KSR. Um, right. First um, book is Red Mars, the one I mentioned. And like, um, I'm sure I've heard actually a lot of stuff about how like great of a guy he is. But so this is not to disparage. I feel, I feel like I hate kind of ragging on people too much, but I have like had such a hard time actually like enjoying anything that he's written. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And I know that's not true of other people. I yeah, know, no. You know. The Mars books are very, you know, they're, they're very, very well known. And, you know, the thing that makes me think of them is the fact that they are uh, very detailed attempts to realistically mm-hmm. depict a colonization project over the long term with an ensemble cast with lots of, you know, attempts at being sciencey. Um, yeah. And, you this know, this is going to be an interesting topic in the post read, but like whether like 
whether this novel's actually hard science fiction or not, like whether it's actually trying to be realistic or not is something I'm like, not like it's trying to be like true in this Ursula K. Le Guin, like, you know, forward to the left hand of darkness, like truth through lies kind of way. I, it's actually, and I'm not trying to contradict. I, I agree. Actually, the Mars trilogy is a really good, like you know. I also didn't think you were contradicting me. <laughs> but like, it's a really, it's a really interesting question. I think that, like, I'd love to you for you to think about it, and for our, our listeners to think about it as they read. Of like, is it hard science fiction in like this very factual? Like, is it you know trying to be realistic? Like, what does realistic mean? Is it trying to do that? Like yeah. those, those are questions that are kind of interesting to me. I'm not sure that it is. I find those questions really interesting also. Um, and another sort of related, maybe very, very related question is to me, how, what does it mean for a book or a story to try to be scientific, to try to mm-hmm. seem sciency? What is what is the science part of this that we think? Not getting away from the discussion. I mean, it's also interesting, the stuff you were saying in this discussion of, you know, to what extent it's science fiction, to what extent it's just fiction, whatever. But the question of the science part in particular, what what would it mean for a book to be highly scientific if it's about stuff that is not actually in our empirical experience? Totally, totally. Or our theoretical. I mean, I guess it's all, all you know necessarily in our theoretical experience. But it, it what is required, and and what do we want? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I think so, and because there's you know, I think there are very different ways of doing that. You can you know describe the scientific process and like it's a novel yeah. about the science it's or you know it's about cutting edge science and it's about the content versus the process of science you know or like you know and i think that's one interesting thing that fiction science fiction in particular is able to do really well is to marry science and social sciences and philosophy and all of these things in these kind of grander thought experiment type ways, like, like through literature and through telling stories, like spin these kind of yarns that tie together a lot of, you know, more academic pursuits, but in a more like holistic way than you get than like reading a single paper or even reading a pop science book, for instance. Um, yeah, that's definitely and so true. that's, you know, it's a very particular thing that not all science fiction like attempts to do or even should. And like, you know, but it's one thing that like when done really well, when it takes that kind of like marrying of like, you know, everything from the humanities to the hard scientists, hard sciences smushes them together and like presents that to you. I always like I enjoy that a lot. Yeah, I think uh, I do too. Uh, And I think another part of it is this, you know, all of the debates that academics have about the nature of their fields then come through or can come Mm -hmm. through in this fiction literature about it. You know, scientists debate the nature of science. And so naturally, science fiction debates it as well. And Mm -hmm. I like to think about the question of not just you know, like sometimes it's tempting to be like, oh, you know, this book did a bad job with science. Like it's very common for people to make a claim like, you know, such and such a book that I don't like. One of the reasons I don't like it is it doesn't do the science. Well, it gets the science wrong or something like yeah. that. And mm. I think, you know, that's that's sort of that's yeah. sort of cheap and, and, and doesn't really, you know, you could say that about any narrative. You can really easily make right. that claim about basically any narrative. I think a more interesting question is, you know, what is science what can a story do with science at all what could a story mm-hmm. maybe bring to the table that other media have a harder time bringing to the table 
Which I think, I mean, you know, that's almost right. like a weird question. And um, also, like, what is... No, I, do, I think it's a good question in this context. And I think it's also sometimes the thing people will miss when this is just like, well, okay, science right or wrong, like, what is the story trying to say? Yeah. You know, like, sometimes that's okay that the science is wrong. And this Maybe is it was part of why I really, you know, like, I think the same way you dislike YA, I am hesitant like i keep saying hard science fiction and cringing as i do because i mm-hmm. feel like there's a lot of like no true scotsman stuff that goes on with hard science fiction and people talking about it of like oh well they got this wrong or it wasn't you know there was too much character development or it wasn't enough about the science or you know or or whatever and it's like okay but all fiction is fiction yeah. <laughs> at the end of the right. day and so you know right. when i say hard science fiction i mean to evoke a feeling as much as like say anything and that's part of why this question of like you know like you said like what is science in the context of this novel what is you know how realistic with quotes is it trying to be is trying to be realistic even good for fiction yeah. science yeah. fiction to do I mean, a classic, okay, a very specific example of this that, that strikes me instantly is the, there's a, there's a classic debate in the philosophy of science about the place of empirical observation, the place mm-hmm. of experimentation in the scientific method. Now, a lot of people in school learn some version of a definition of the scientific method that was written by Karl Popper in the 1930s, where he said that science, science's job obviously I'm I'm paraphrasing, I don't have this in front of me. Science's job is to produce things by experiment that are reproducible. Mm -hmm. Now, that may seem like a good definition, but there are a lot of issues that you can raise with this definition without disputing any of the things that it says. In other words, you may believe that to be true, um, but your other beliefs about science may, you know, when they're questioned, reveal to you that it's insufficient. Um, Mm -hmm. for instance, um, there are a lot of things that it's very difficult to design. Like there are a lot of things that we can design experiments about where one experiment cannot fully encompass our ideas about a thing. So what I mean by that is you could measure the speed of light in one particular way, but Mm -hmm. you can't measure the speed of light in every particular way all at once. Uh, maybe that's a bad example. Um, you can measure what happens when you fold a molecule one way. You can measure like one output of it, perhaps, by some mechanism. But you'd have a very difficult time measuring every fold of a molecule when you interact with it with a particular compound. Mm-hmm. Like, there are limits to our ability to observe the world empirically given the tools that we have. One of the ways we get around those is we develop theories that are bigger in some sense than any one experiment can be. And we try to fit experiments together into these theories. Now, Karl Popper's definition of science doesn't say anything about that. Um, he other, you know, elsewhere has written a lot about theory, but or wrote a lot about theory. But, you know, so okay, that's one objection you could make. A whole other category of objection you could make to that is that, well, all right, that may be, but like in practice, scientists usually don't do things. The scientists don't like live their lives and like produce knowledge by the mechanism of, okay, I'm going to like think up an experiment based on like absolutely nothing. I'm just going to think it up in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then like mm-hmm. from my like 
from my the virgin earth of my brain will will pour out this concept to, <laughs> to do this experiment and then having done the experiment whatever the result of it is is like new knowledge that i will then like pass on that's not what happens obviously scientists have ideas that they've gotten from other scientists and that those people got it from other people and those people got it from a whole range of sources you know some of which were experimental many of which were not can we even like dichotomize knowledge into experimental and theoretical? Like there's all these ridiculous right. questions you can raise about science. I've gone on for too long already, but like the point <laughs> is the point is that science fiction, if somebody asks you, you know, did this science fiction story do science well? Well, that's not that easy of a question to answer no. in the first place. No, not for like the real world, much less science fiction. Indeed. Yeah, I think that, um, oh man, I am so excited. I, I, I need to stop saying this, but so excited to dig into some of the stuff with the specific examples in this novel. Nice. <laughs> I actually had this, like, I pulled out all my old, like, linguistics and philosophy of science books at one point and then put them back on the shelf being like, no, if I dig into this in the pre-read, it's going to be impossible. So I, you know have a stack of like eight books that I'm going to reference in the next episode. So, so like if you were a pea zombie though, like you'd still have done that. <laughs> that sure. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, a few other books that are vaguely like, so another book that I think like this reminds me of, man, I hate being this negative. Um, is Deepness in the Sky by Werner Vinge. What did you say you another, hate? Sorry. Being so negative because I'm about to oh. talk about another book that I don't like. Um, I, <laughs> this is another book that people like really, really enjoy. And I didn't. And in fact, I liked his other books in the same series a lot more. Like I've liked a lot of Werner Vinge's books. I just don't understand. I actually almost brought this book up when we were talking with Ellie about Nine Fox Gambit too. Because mm. it's this like far future novel that's like you know pretty hard science fiction and it's actually about like humanity it's both about humanity encountering like spider aliens and also the humanity in this far future is like supposed to be like chinese and like east asian descended like that's like the people who got to space and like you know conquered the the galaxy uh, he does that really poorly, like the whole like, you know, awesome. he's done really bad. Um, and then the uh, especially compared to something like Nine Fox Gambit, where, you know, yeah. it's done. So I well. have not. Yeah, I've not read any Werner Vinge, which is shameful. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, he's um, actually but, a good, interesting writer. Um, so, yeah, no, I've, but, I've heard a lot of people say that. Yeah. And then I also felt that just like the aliens were like like the aliens in that are almost like a version of what I'm talking about with like Peter Watts and Adrian Tchaikovsky, but like just not done in the way that I find interesting. Um, so, so, you know, I'm actually, I say some of this also, I'm curious for our listeners uh, you know, who have like read these books and some combination of them, like, what do you think of all of this? And like, what would you recommend not recommend? Cause it's also, uh, an area that I feel that I haven't, read a lot of like there's a like i keep i feel like i'm pulling at straws a little bit and being like i wish i'd read i've read more of this and i'm sure there's really good stuff out there that i'm just like completely unaware of maybe greg egan is actually another one to to mention he has a short story that's also part of a book diaspora i think the short story is like something magic carpets or something anyway that's a really cool story that 
we can we'll have to get into more in the next episode. This is boring. You guys hearing me talk about how much I'm going to talk about the next episode. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, likewise, I, I was having a similar experience. I mean, I realized there are there are an enormous number of books about colonizing other planets or about mm-hmm. generation ships and mm-hmm. the societies on them and stuff like that. And and there's a lot of them that I haven't read. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I'm aware that, for example, Elizabeth Bear has a series uh, set on gener- generation ships. I haven't read them. Um, mm-hmm. I I think that she's a good writer, and so I sort of bring that up for that reason. But I also, you know, having not read them, this is the Eternal Sky trilogy, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Having not read them, I can't comment on them, you know, beyond that. But, you know, uh, right. I have heard other people say they're, they're great. Another person... Um, that I think of, this is less directly related, but Ted Chang, his oh, yeah. writing is influenced. He is interested in some of these same philosophical and scientific puzzles. And so mm-hmm. some of his stories are about some of this stuff very specifically, especially the language stuff. Yeah. You know, he's actually a really good example of someone who, like Peter Watts, writes in a very different style with very different stories. Like like all three of these authors write with these the very different stories, style, substance, all of it. But they have some sort of like thing that ties them together around this kind of like taking all of these different pieces from these academic influences and like creating story out of it. Um, mm-hmm. that's really, really interesting. That's a, that's a good call. Um, his short story, the story of your lives and others is a really interesting kind of, you know, like the linguistics in it is kind of like whatever, but the story is phenomenal. And I got turned into a great, uh, sci-fi st- movie, um, arrival by Denis Villeneuve or whatever his name is. Um, that was phenomenal. That was a really good movie. I like that movie too. Um, I'm trying to think of other folks who, have are who are known for this type of writing i mean so cj cherry i don't know how to pronounce her name because i've never said Uh, it aloud in my life it's Um, cherry because it's it's her name is cherry without the h and she put the h on it to be more like authory really that's awesome yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i think to be less yeah feminine because she was writing in like the 80s and you know yeah yeah that's sad but publishing sci-fi publishing Um, in particular is very like yeah so so she's another person who i have not actually read which is very sad Uh, i've actually read a couple of her novels and i wouldn't put it in this thing much at all she's much more interested in kind of like the human psychology than necessarily the like alien like and and this kind of like melding of stuff it's good stuff i really liked the um what was it the foreigner was the novel of hers that i read and really enjoyed and and wanted to like read more in that series and then i learned there are 16 novels in that series i was like (laughs) okay i can't i can't do it (laughs) she writes very like she's one of these authors who very much like she's a very good author but Mm -hmm. it also feels very much like she gets paid by the word if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um it's real long story (laughs) Fair um, enough. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. That's just the one I actually no, 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 I no, no. That's totally fine. With. I mean, like I said, I, I, I she's a, a one of these like very famous yeah. SF people who I have not read. I think you would my... like Foreigner. I actually, the whole time we were reading um, the Sparrow, I kept thinking like the Foreigner did so much of this like better and more interestingly. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That was that. that was one in my head while we were reading that. Um, yeah. Because that her her stories are very especially the foreigner stories are about you know like 
humans and aliens coexisting in a way where the humans are not colonizers, but actually kind of like on their back feet. Mm. And, um, and it's so much is about like, even if you know the language, how much can you really understand? How much can you really understand a alien psychology? But it's yeah. all a very kind of like humanistic from the human eyes, you know, sort yeah. of sort of thing. Um, it's cool though. It's definitely an interesting novel. So actually, this just suddenly reminded me of a very old book, which I haven't read in a very long time, The Moat in God's Eye, which mm. is about humans it's about yeah, a Cornell first contact and jerry jerry exactly. Cornell and larry niven exactly oh, I, jerry larry interesting yeah um great novel i yeah, love that yeah yeah it's, it's really good it's about first contact situation humans and aliens and it spends a lot of time trying to build up this sort of alien civilization in a way that's interesting and and you know describe the humans trying to like investigate mm-hmm. this species and their planet and and the, there's a serious power imbalance and there's lots of cl- uh, uh colonialism mm-hmm. issues and and sort of power dynamic issues and stuff that maybe the book, you know, could have handled a little better or could have been more realistic about, I guess, is the thing I would say. But um, ultimately, a very good book, I think. And, you know, that that's a good example of like the older tradition of these type of stories. Because that, mm-hmm. that's a book from, you know, the 80s, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's... I think 70s or 80s, yeah. 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 So this is a long tradition. And actually, I think one of the things I was thinking about is this tradition that like colonizing literature or the like or like the yeah. this type of stuff it goes all the way back to Robinson Crusoe I mean it's very mm-hmm. there's a very long and, and sort of infamous tradition infamous and storied and complicated yeah. tradition um that yeah, it's go ahead go ahead well there's just there are, there are a lot of ways to approach it there's a lot of things to talk about you know worth mentioning that 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 this is a super complicated sort of tradition and right well we won't uh, you know, be able to get this, into all of it yeah no and a lot of this kind of you know literature takes for granted that like colonization is like good and like a value right. and the thing that you know a lot of it is from like a eurocentric point of view yeah. essentially um it's definitely you know i want to talk about colonization in this book because it's different from the typical sci-fi colonization mm-hmm. and it but it's there and it feels like it's you know dealt with a little bit like you know it's mm-hmm not some grand work of like post-colonial literature or anything along those lines, but it also like for being what it is, like seems to want to grapple with that in a really cool way. And, um, yeah, I think the word for world is forest by Ursula K. Le Guin mm-hmm. is actually one of, one of the best, like kind of post-colonial novels. Also actually, um, the mission child by Maureen McHugh, which mm-hmm. I know you really didn't like China mountain Shang, but mission child is probably one of my like top five. Yeah. Novels, I, I like, will ever. check that out. I, I, I actually have that here. Um, oh yeah. I will check that out at some point. I, I, uh, I, I intend to get to it. It's I'll give queue. a full, full throated recommendation to our listeners like Sweet. mission child. It is out of print, not available on ebook, only available like use through like a books or Amazon or whatever. Um, but it's just one of my favorite novels of all time. It is so, so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, it, I also, I, this is a, a thing that you love, I know, and I like it a lot mm-hmm. too. Um, the Dark Eden books, Chris Beckett. Um, yeah. when, when, if we're, if we're talking about sort of humans, sort of like also very Clark award winner. Yeah. Right. Um, at, yeah, as mentioned, um, the, um, there's a lot of sort of humans kind of developing society over the long term. Yeah. Um, it's more focused on the history and anthropology um, 
and sociology and like yeah, he, a lot he, of sociology in those novels in yeah. particular and and you know it's it's almost like if you mar- if you combine the sort of sociolo- sociological approach with like a an old school like french long durée historical approach like because we're talking <laughs> about hundreds of years of history over yeah. the course of the books yeah uh, in a really cool way and so it's like you know this human society developing right in a very alien environment on, a, on an alien planet Right. Um, and that's what's actually it's cool because you what you have is, you know, a spider society developing in that same kind of like very long time right. scale kind of way in this novel. And, you and know. this is actually why I wanted to bring up Robinson Crusoe, because actually, I think, you know, in a lot of really important ways, it's the same plot. It's the same story. The story of somebody building from nothing. It's a Lego plot. It's the Minecraft plot. Right. Uh, it's right. the plot so of saying. it's the plot of somebody in an environment. And like mm-hmm. the the conceit of this plot, which you know is not accurate, to to be fair, to be to be clear, you know, <laughs> the conceit of this plot is that like you have this sort of character in an environment, and the character is this like frictionless, you know, physics manipulator, and the environment is this like frictionless plane populated by like platonic objects that each have like a purpose or like a few purposes, you know, the conceit is, you know, you, you, you go and interact with the environment and it's this very simple set of interactions and you take the objects and you build things and it's, and you conquer the environment, right? You you take the objects, you build what you want to survive, to make yourself new capabilities and, you know, that, and then repeat and you do that sort of iteratively and that's the plot. And like, then by the end, you've created something really big and cool. It's the plot well, of a kid I, playing with Legos. It's a great plot. It's incredibly compelling and an enormous amount of the, literature. That's not at all. That. I would. That does not, to me, describe the Dark Eden novels well, at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the only sense. Oh, you're, you're just talking about Ray Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, that was that, that was a description. Yeah, yeah, totally, Sorry. totally. That was a description of Robinson Crusoe, and 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 sort of that kind of ur plot has been a template for a lot of other fiction. It, because it's incredibly compelling. It's a lot more compelling, I think, than people recognize. It's the plot of yeah. most video games, or not most, but like a lot of video games. I mean, I love playing survival video games. I've been yeah. like digging stranded deep recently, and I got like really into Minecraft back in the day. Like as an adult, like yeah. I was not a kid playing Minecraft. I was a you know twenty eight year old playing Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> but in a lot of ways, school fiction. Oh, Terraria is, this plot is one too. that you got sure. me into. Terraria, I like Terraria. Um, you know, I mentioned Minecraft already. In a lot of ways, like. Like school fiction is this plot. Bildungsroman are this plot. Um, you know, books so. about. Oh yeah, I mean, like you know, it's 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 more attenuated the, the relationship, obviously. But you know, when when the when when the basic scenario is you have this character, and they are making a life for themselves oh, by manipulating their environment. It, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a high level of abstraction to say that that's the same plot, but but no, I think, but I get, but like in a in a school story, it's the sense of like, oh, you've you know, the 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 jungle is like the other kids, or you right. know, the it's environment the is the yeah. other kids, and you're building a you know kind of like yeah. your own social structure within right. this pre-existing structure, and yeah. and the point, uh, the sort of driving force of a lot of these narratives is you know, going from a lack of capabilities to an abundance of capabilities, mm-hmm. you know, is, is like learning how to manipulate your environment in order to extract from it what you want. And now obviously there are ways yeah. to, that's the original, what I said to extract, that's the, that's the sort of, that's the original conceit. And like a lot of stories play with that and don't do that and do the right. opposite of that. And, you know, or do it and recognize it as extraction, right. for right. instance. Um, yeah. yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting 
because I don't even know how that like I know this book is just beginning where I'm at to begin dealing with some of these questions and I don't know how it's going to so I'm really curious to to see actually this is the, the like my own questions where I'm at in the novel has been thinking about like, Oh, like we're finally getting to the colonial element. How's he going to handle that? Mm, yeah. I'm, the book, I'm really interested. The book is kind of like, you know, it's, it's a fairly long book. I don't know how exactly how many pages it is, but on the Kindle, like it feels longer. It's a good read and it's definitely really well written, but it does. It's not like a, you know, like I, like I said, I read the left hand of darkness recently and that's like 300 pages and it's really dense, but it's also like you can sit down and read it in like a couple of days. And like this book, I've not been able to do that with, even though I've been reading it a lot and it's, um, oh yeah, it yeah. says, sorry, it says, uh, 640 pages on Amazon. Yep. It's a long book and it is a dense book and it is one that is, tells a story over like millennia, um, and in I'm a good excited. way, it, it, it feels, I, I don't, again, I haven't read it. I, my understanding is while he's writing a sequel, it is also a very standalone novel. So it's like, it tells one really long story over this amount of time. Like it takes that time to tell a complete story, which is always nice. I'm really looking forward to reading it. Yeah. Well, I should let you go and get doing that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, so, so we'll be one last oh, yeah, thing, one last thing who, I mean, I suppose we've already discussed a lot about the book, but who do you think would, would want to read this book? Yeah. Anyone who got to this point in the podcast, geez, <laughs> um, anyone who wants to listen to us two idiots talk for an hour, um, you know, folks who like this, um, way of writing science fiction, you know, I, I would say like it's an interesting novel and in that I think both fans of like Peter F Hamilton, as well as fans mm. of Ted Chiang will enjoy yeah. this novel. Um, it gets both at this like long scale epic kind of storytelling, as well as this like really neat little like puzzle box plot constructions. Like it, it manages to do like both of those things at the same time. It's uh, you know, pretty talented in that way and interesting. Um, you know, it's definitely, like there's characters and they are interesting. It is not the most character driven science fiction novel that we've read. It is not the most, you know, so far not the most sociological. They get the feeling that it's getting more into that territory at this point. So I'm hesitant to say that, but it's definitely, you know, I, I would say fans of like, what is of whatever you want to call hard science fiction. But if you like anything that you've ever thought is hard science fiction, you might like this. Um, and you know it's uh yeah i don't know it's hard for me to answer that without having finished it yet honestly. well that's that was a legit answer i think that's yeah. probably going to be good enough for most folks it's a, let, let put it this way if, if it were me and i wasn't already gonna read the book that would be plenty of information to <laughs> <laughs> right right yeah it's good too i mean like you know i'm very it's always when reading a book that like neither of us has read for this podcast and choosing one, there's this element of fear of like, Oh, I don't want to get another spare. I don't want to get another book that everyone else liked, but it ends up I dislike cause I have strong dislikes when I dislike things. And I have not felt that way. I've been very, very glad that I finally picked it up and I feel kind of like dumb for not having done so like two years ago when people were first telling me to, which I fear, listened. <laughs> fear is the mind killer, dude. Uh, no, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think fear is pretty healthy, but <laughs> yeah, someone with an anxiety disorder do would say that, wouldn't fear? they? <laughs> do the spider creatures feel fear? They do. They do. Oh. They do feel fear. Oh. Do you know what fills them with dread? Ants. 
Dun, dun, that's dun, so dun. cool. Shut up. That's so cool. I can't wait to read this. Oh, my God. That sounds so awesome. <laughs> You're going to really love it, Matt. You're uh, going to really love it. All right. All right, dude. With that, let's uh, yeah, thank our thank folks. Thank you to... Thank our yeah. peeps. Thanks, so First, thanks to everyone who's listened to us so far. Um, just a really brief, we'll be oh, back right. on the last Tuesday of the month with our post read. So that'll be after Thanksgiving. We probably won't have an episode in between now and then. Um, we, our lives are both kind of like dumpster fires right now. So, woo! <laughs> At least mine is. I can say that with confidence. Mine is too. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then... Um, like Matt was saying, WJ for our music, which is playing right now. Find him on SoundCloud. Noah Bradley, NoahBradley.com for our artwork. Uh, you know those hand to... gestures you're making. People can't see that. <laughs> I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> I made fun of you last episode for that. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, you know, thanks to 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 our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For... Oh my God. <laughs> Cut. Cut. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>